Uh, let's just begin with prayer. Father, we just want to quiet ourselves and we want to think of those words that we just heard in the song, the introduction about the cross being the tree of life. Thank you, Jesus, that we can fly to you, we can come to you, we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And Lord, we are just done with trying to live our own lives in our own power and our own manipulation and trying to finagle life to our advantage. We just want to surrender it to you, God. I just want to ask you, Lord, to bless these words, bless this message. Your namesake, in Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 30 a beautiful verse. I've been reading the book of Proverbs this month with my private time of Bible reading, and I like the book of Proverbs because it's 31 chapters, and how many days in the month are there? 31 days, right? So it kind of works nice for your morning devotionals or reading. And uh, what I try to do, I like to read books. I like to read things a lot, but sometimes... Um, it is easy to get so involved with reading books that we stop reading the Bible. And just actually reading the Bible is just uh, so powerful. And uh, some of us that like to really analyze the Bible or just take words apart, we have to sometimes break away from that and we just need to look at reading, just reading it and letting the Word speak to us as we read. Because one thing that when I was a Baptist back in the day... that one thing that I learned was how to read my Bible. Baptists like their Bibles. And uh, so I learned that. And, you know, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, it says this, that the fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life. And this is the amplified version. Think of that with me this morning. The, the fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life. And what does it mean to be a righteous person? I think a lot of us would say, well, do good works, try the best you can, like we heard Carl say, uh, you know, try to bear good fruits. But that is not a righteous man, because a person can actually modify their behavior and appear to be a very righteous-looking person, but on the inside be very, very sick and very, very unhealthy. And so what is a righteous man? A righteous man is, or a righteous person is someone that has received the righteousness of God by faith, through grace. And the gift of righteousness is something that we receive, like we heard Carl say, when we believe on Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Now, I was thinking the other day that I know, and I don't know who, or but I just know that there are people that can come to church for a long time and never get saved. And how, what do I mean by that? Well, because there's a part of us that's very religious that we wake up Sunday morning and we feel guilty. Oh, i got to go to church. I can't miss church. My grandmother would just kill me. She'd roll over in her grave if I don't go to church. And there's something inside of us that um, wants to be religious. How many know about that? That's one of the sides of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Part of that tree is good. <laughs> 
We are not only evil people by base nature. We have a fallen nature, but that is fallen. But there's also another nature inside of you and I, and that is a nature to do good. We actually want to change ourselves, actually. And that's what the whole self-improvement movement is all about. Um, nowadays, it's so, it's so amazing that you can buy so many books on how to improve yourself. How many have ever seen them at Barnes & Nobles or at libraries? How many have ever read them? I've read a few of them, but there's nothing that can touch the transformational power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Where the old sin nature is crucified. What a great way to start your day. All my yesterdays are, are, are paid for, are gone, are crucified. What a great way to start your day. Wouldn't it be awesome if, you, if your credit report could be clean every day? Like start off with a... <laughs> Why do I say that? Because I used to be in the mortgage business and people would come to our company to buy a house and then we'd you know, pull their credit and... That is just, that's why I got out of business. I just didn't want to know so much information about people. You, you look at their credit report and you can see their entire life, everything. And it just was so not fun. And many times I just wind up sharing the gospel to people. I just say, you know what, you need God. <laughs> I needed God. You need God too. <laughs> Give your life to God and stop trying to live your life by yourself. Here's another thing, too, is that, you know what, this is, the, I said this to my wife, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, that, isn't it interesting, when God starts getting under the skin in people's lives, through circumstances, through situations, God starts getting it under our skin, and he starts peeling away the, you know how, like, the onion has lots of skin, you pull away one layer, and then there's another layer there, and it's, it's the same thing with you and I. We have lots of layers, protective layers. And, and there's that core of us, which is called the heart. And that's what God is really after. Uh, God is really after your heart and my heart. And that's the only thing that God wants from you and I, is our heart. He doesn't want our good works. He doesn't want our good old college try. You know, God doesn't want our effort. God is not after... Um, even our good Christian vocabulary, how you doing, brother? Praise the Lord, I'm doing good. God is good all the time. It's like, that's great. That's great Christian lingo, and it's true, but God wants something more than just behavioral modification. You know what that modification means? It means that people go to church, and they learn how to cut their hair the right way. They learn how to dress the right way. They learn how not to say certain things, how not to do certain things, because that's not the Christian way. Well, that... That's no different than any other religion on the planet. What God really wants is our heart. And when God gets a hold of our heart, then He can transform it. And so when, and it's very interesting to note that when God starts getting underneath people's skin and begins to really touch the real issues in our life, that we jet. <laughs> we just, we're gone. We don't come. I mean, we just, you know, we, we move away. We do something different with our lives. We, and here's the thing, is that when you and I are lying to ourselves, we don't even know it. Do you ever lie to yourself and you don't even know it? And you just find yourself doing something and you're like, well, you know. And somebody may approach us and may confront us on that and say, look, what you're doing is self-destructive. And I don't know if anybody's ever come to you and said that to you, but it's happened to me. 
It's happened to all of us, really. There's, no one, there's none of us here that are exempt from an old sin nature that just is looking for itself. And when someone comes or when God confronts us with truth or issues, the first thing that we want to do is either discredit that person and say, who does that person think they are that they can say that to me? Well, it doesn't matter really who they are and what they think. The question is, is this truth? Is this biblical, what the Bible is saying to me? And why does God want to get underneath all of our, little, our, our, our skin and all of our layers? Because there's a part of us that is really suffering. And I, I'm going to get to the text here, the content in a minute. But there's a part of us that needs transformation. And that part of us is really got what God loves. Let me ask you something. If you really love something or someone, if you really love your kids or your or you love your family, when you see them in pain, isn't it the natural thing to go after them and to try to uh, make a huge difference? How many know what I'm talking about? Like when you see someone in your your grandkids or your kids or your mate uh, in pain, uh, don't you go after them? Doesn't love go after them and want to see their circumstances change? The answer is yes. And so why, why would we be so defensive to God's jealousy and and jealousy is a word that we look at as a very negative thing don't we we say well jealousy is bad you know jealousy is possessiveness it is selfishness it is but there is a divine jealousy which is a jealousy that looks at you and I and sees the core in us suffering that is in pain and God wants to go through those layers and transform that core part of us, which is our heart. And when the transformation of the heart happens, then that's when fruit is beginning to be born. And that's what we're talking about this month, is bearing spiritual fruit. We're not going to give the the typical spiritual fruit message that you may hear in many churches. We're just going to talk about real stuff, about real fruit, because we read here in Galatians chapter 5, And look at these, I want you to look at some verses here together with me. Galatians chapter 5, and I want you to compare something with me. And this is, you know, when you compare things, that's when you learn. When you're comparing Bible verses and when you're comparing words and you're looking at contrasts, many times you can see, you can learn things. Look at at, um, Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. And before the Apostle Paul speaks to the Galatian church about fruits, he wants to talk about something else, and that is works. And let's look at this, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, meaning that everybody knows what the works of the flesh are. And when you see the word flesh there, it's not necessarily talking about physical body. It's talking about that part of us that is fallen. That fallen part of us. Um, Charlie Brown said this, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> Isn't that really true? There's something about us that is amazing. It's amazing about the human race, what we, what we can do. We can send a man to the moon. But there are basic problems that, that are in our lives because of our fallen nature. And so Paul writes this. He said, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication. Fornication basically just means sex outside of God's order. 
before marriage, uh, outside of marriage if you're married. It's just, it is out of order. Why does God hate that so much? Well, you, you may go to some churches and they're just going to pound on that, pound up, but never really tell you why. Here is the reason why. The reason why is that you are not a physical body, you're a soul. C.S. Lewis said that. Just remember that. You are more of a soul than you are a physical body. Because why? Your physical body is going to die, but your soul is going to live forever. And when you marry somebody, you're marrying not a physical body. You are, but that you're marrying a soul. And that's why fornication is so destructive. Because um, when, when, and we talked a lot about this when I was overseas in our relationship seminar. That when two, when two people have intimacy, there is a, not only a physical, but there is a chemical hormonal bond. And when you have young people engaged in premarital intimacy, or not even young people, old, older people, then what will happen is, is that there is a bond that is created there. And then when the relationship doesn't work out because there's no commitment and there's no vows involved, then that just tears people apart. We all, know what we're, we all know what I'm talking about. It's just that tearing apart. And that is outside of God's order. And that's why we say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that it's good that a man does not touch or stimulate a woman. And this is what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, let's talk specifics here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He said it's not good for that to happen unless there's that commitment of marriage. And so that's why it's a work, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand. Boy, that's really good news, isn't it? I didn't come to church to hear all that. Well, this is part of the scripture. Um which I told you beforehand, just as I told you now um, in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's a, what does that mean? Basically it means, and some people use this to say you can lose your salvation. What this is saying here is, is that basically exactly what it's saying is that we are not going to be in a place where functioning in God's kingdom authority and kingdom liberty and kingdom love and kingdom power. And so a, a Christian, and even a non-Christian, that lives in sin is going to be a person that is just never experiences the power of God in their life and the peace of God and the joy and, and all of those things. And that's why sin is the biggest scam in the universe. It's the biggest scam. Have, have, how many of us have ever been involved in a scam? You know what a scam is? When you're promised one thing and you get totally the other, the opposite. That's a scam. Sin says, partake in joy and you'll, and you'll love this. No strings attached. But the, the reality is, is that there are strings attached. And what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. It comes with me in my soul back to the East Coast. I say that because... I worked in a I worked in a in a company where you know I don't know if you guys this happens with you but sometimes there are these people that uh, it's usually middle aged people that are not married they do this could be younger people too they just disappear for a weekend you know 
They leave Friday afternoon. They take a cheap flight to Las Vegas, live it up, live crazy, and then they come back, and <laughs> and they just are just so destroyed. I mean, you can see it on their faces. You know, they're like, "Where were you? I was in Vegas." And that happened to me one time. Not to me, but it happened to coworkers. And I looked at them, and I just thought. <laughs> What happened in Vegas? Did it stay in Vegas? And they were just like shaking their head. Because it comes back in your soul. It comes back in your physical body and you're sick. And that's why sin is such a scam. And that's why when we talk about sin, we have to understand that God loves you and I so much. He values you and I so much that anything that would hurt us, He hates with a passion. And that's why He crucified it 2,000 years ago. So anyway, here's the word I want us to look at, works of the flesh. Works of the flesh. What does that mean? It just means the, well, what does work mean? Well, it means, it means effort and compensation, right? Time and wages. And what are the wages of sin the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 6? What are they? What's your paycheck? What's a paycheck for sin? Romans chapter 6 is what? Wages of sin is death, spiritual death, right? Internal death. Like, you ever sin and you feel like you're going to physically die, although you're not sick? You're just like, oh, I feel so sick. My body is just filled with this poison of sin and guilt. Compare that with the next verse, and that's in verse 22 that I want to look at. But the fruit of the Spirit is. So we see a difference here, work and fruit. Work and fruit. Work is something that requires labor, doesn't it? It requires commitment, and it requires something that, to the measure that I work, and that's the way sin is, is that sin is not free. It's something that people have to work at. And I don't know if you, if you know what I mean, but somebody that wants something in the world that is just destructive, they don't realize that it's just they don't realize that it's not just there for free for the taking. It, you have to work for it. Like if you're, an addi- if you're addicted to something, then that's going to cost you something, isn't it? It's going to cost your money. It's going to cost your time. It's going to cost your family. It's going to cost your relationships. It's going to cost your health. It's going to cost your sanity. And so the works of the flesh are always the same, and they always lead to death. And Because... Works of the flesh is labor, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's a flow, isn't it? It's a flow. It's a flow of the Holy Spirit abiding in our tabernacle, in our life. And one speaks of labor and slavery, and the other one speaks of just effortless living. And um, because sin always puts us in a labor camp of bondage. You know what a labor camp is? How many of ever read about labor camps in World War II. Uh, a labor camp is where you are where you are put in this camp, you're not allowed to leave, and you work there for like zero wages because you're really a prisoner. And you're there until basically you die. And that's a labor camp. And uh, they are all over the world today. They're not really spoken about. In North Korea, there are labor camps for Christians. And they are there, and many, many Christians go there in North Korea, and they never, ever are able to leave, and they die there. 
one very famous labor camp that we have all heard about, probably all of us, is the German labor camp in Poland called Auschwitz. How many have heard of that place? Where in World War II, the Germans, uh, the, I'm sorry, not the Germans, the Nazis, the Nazis rounded up Jews and gypsies and they brought them to these labor camps. And that's where uh, they, one of the places was Auschwitz, and that was maybe two and a half hours away from where I was living in Krakow. And so a few times I went to this Auschwitz camp, which is now just a museum, and that's really a monument of death. Uh, it's really, it's just as, it's as bad as, I mean, still today, it has this very heavy atmosphere, very oppressed, and a very, very sad place, even though they've cleaned it up and uh, the lawns are, you know, nice, neatly mowed, but you can see there that it's just such a dis destructive place. And you go in, and this is what would happen, is that these trains would, would come in with these, uh, with these Jews, um, and they would l leave them at this camp, and they would have this check-in process. I don't know if you saw Schindler's List or not. Uh, there's some graphic parts of it, but actually it was filmed in Krakow. And actually, as a matter of fact, there are some of our people... That in our in our in our church in Krakow that were part of that movie, not major parts, but they were part of the crowd scenes. And they would check in and they would take everything from you, your luggage, your clothing, your glasses, anything that you had of value. And if you were a woman and you had long hair, they would cut your hair. They would cut it. And the Nazis were just they were like obsessive compulsive with their with their record keeping. And what they did was they would put. Um, all the glasses in one bin, all the all the suitcases in another another room, um, all the canes, everybody's canes, and their all their clothes, and, and it was very very organized with just unbelievable records. And this is what the slave market of sin does to a to a Christian and to a unbeliever. It's a it, what it does is is that it is very methodical and systematic in just breaking people down. It breaks people down. And this is not the will of God for a believer, for you and I. And what happened was, is that as you walk into this camp, Auschwitz camp, it says in German, uh, work makes free, which is a total mockery of really the new covenant of Jesus Christ with the believer, that work does not make free. Actually, work, the more we work, the more in debt we are. The more we live in the works of the flesh, the more we are in the slavery to that sin. And one of the classic signs of addiction in, in any of our lives is when we say, oh, I don't have a problem. I can stop doing that at any time I want. <laughs> you know, that's what I say about coffee. I can stop drinking that any time I want. I don't need coffee today. Yes, I do. Because <laughs> I'm slightly, not slightly, I am a coffee appreciator. See, I'm living in denial already. Look at <laughs> so, okay, works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. I just want to say this that that we can live in the effortlessness of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, or we can live in bondage. And I just want to say to us today, I just want to say to us, um, that sin is a scam. And this is what happens: the world. The world provides it, the world offers it, and then it mocks you and I after we fail. It'll, you'll be flat on your face after 
after it happens, and then you'll be then the devil, the world, and your own flesh will mock you. And sin is not fun. And I just want to say that we just want to run from it. Just Romans 7 verse 11 says this, For sin, seize, and I'm reading the Amplified again, For sin, seizing the opportunity and getting a hold of me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled and tra- trapped and cheated me, using it as a weapon, and then it says, and it killed me. And so sin uses the law to to beat us down. Three things, and I saw this the other day on the internet. I liked it so much. I just reposted it. Sin does three things to us. It takes us where we didn't plan to go. Right? Doesn't <laughs> it takes you where you don't plan to go? And just park right there for a second. I, I you know I didn't plan to preach on this this morning, but maybe it's the mind of the spirit. Sin will take us where we did not plan to go. All right, just you wait. It's like the it's like the uh, prodigal son. He did not plan to go and live with the pigs in a foreign land. He had another plan. His plan was to go and live it up. The second thing. Sin will keep you longer than you planned to stay. It'll keep you there longer than you plan to stay. <laughs> you know, you check in and you can't check out. And then number three, and this is the big one, it'll cost you more than you intended to pay. It'll cost you more than you intended to pay. So what's the alternative in our life? Being filled with the Spirit produces a whole other lifestyle. Meaning that when I'm when I surrender to Jesus Christ and when I surrender to the cross and I just surrender to God and I allow God to fill me with His Holy Spirit, that surrender leads to fruit. Fruit is nothing that we have to try to produce. You ever try to produce fruit? Let me, let me ask you this. You ever seen an apple tree really pro- tr- struggling to produce fruit? Um, the issue in our life is not trying to produce spiritual fruit. Like trying, like sometimes when we talk about, when you hear messages about the fruit of the spirit, you think, okay, now I got to produce love, I got to go produce joy, I got to go produce peace, and all of these things. That's not what. That's not what the Bible is saying. Because the flesh will try to produce things, but it cannot. And another thing is, is that if you and I have fruit, it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm a spiritual person. For example, I'm sorry, gifts. If, I, if you take apples and, and, and tie them to a dead tree, does that make that tree alive? It does not. It means that really what our occupation in our life is, is not how much love that I have, not how much peace that I have, not how much long-suffering and gentleness and all the fruits. That's not the issue. The issue is not, you know, if you leave this message today and you drive home and you're thinking, uh, I don't have much fruit in my life. Well, you're already thinking on the wrong track. The issue is, is that our occupation is really that I want to be live in surrender to the Holy Spirit and surrender to God, surrender to God's plan in my life, surrender to God's people, surrender my life to the Bible. And at that moment, when that happens, I'm going to be rightly connected to the vine in, in John chapter 15 in an experiential way. And there's going to be life that flows into my life. How many of us have just had a battle with God and then we just surrender to God and then we just have that sweet sense of surrender? 
you know? You know what I'm talking about? That sweet sense of just surrender to God. And say, you know what? I'm not going to battle. I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm going to surrender to God. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it leads to fruit. I just want to quickly talk about these three things I'm going to close, okay? Maybe we talk more about this next week. But number one, love. Agape, love. And this really means, this is really a love that is a love that's an unconditional love from God. It means that God serves us for our good because of our value. Not because of what a person can bring you. We don't love people because of what they can bring to us. We don't love people because of what they can bring to us. We don't love people in this church because of what they can bring to the church. You know, maybe that's what a corporation would do or a job would say, well, what are you bringing to this job? What we say, what God says is, is that He is here to love us because we are valuable. The love of the Spirit, the love, the fruit of love in our life is not a selfish love. It's a love that really seeks to benefit um, another. Now, I want to just stop there for a minute and just remind us of Philippians chapter 1. I believe it's verse 9. It says, let your love be according to knowledge. What does that mean? It just means that we are not, love is not naive. And I hear people say that love has no filters. That's not correct. Love does have filters. God's love has filters. Meaning that, does God love everybody in the world? Yes, He does. But can people experience that love that, are not, that have not surrendered their life to God? They cannot. Because God so loved the world that He what? Showered the world with blessings? No. That He gave His only begotten Son that... Love, need, there needs to be justice before love could be free to, to love. What do I mean by that? It means that God cannot illegally love us without payment first being paid, and that was Jesus Christ. A person, you and I, cannot understand the love of God towards us in our personal lives until we first understand that there's a cross and when I, lay, when I surrender my life at the cross and take it up, then I'm going to experience the love of God. I'm going to experience His love. I'm going to, I'm going to experience His value. And this is what happens is that when we don't understand our value, then we're going to go after anything that we see in the world because we're just not going to value ourselves. A person that doesn't value themselves always gets into trouble with being manipulated or being... Um, being sold out for something very cheap. But the love of God is something that when it comes into your life, it changes us and it changes our whole self-image, meaning that I begin to take stock of myself, meaning that I look at myself from the point of view of God's perspective. And I look at myself from the way God sees me. And I begin to value myself the way God values us, the way God values me. And so the love of God is not something that, well, somebody may say to you, well, you're a Christian, you're supposed to love me unconditionally. Well, that's true. We love people unconditionally, but there's a moment in people's lives where they can just say, um, I don't want the cross of Jesus Christ in my life, so um, I just want blessing and I just want 
all the good benefits, but that's impossible without understanding a cross that needs to come into my life every day and to crucify the old, the sin, the old sin nature, the old image, the old life. Because the love of God is not selfish. And if a person says, well, um, you need to love me. Well, the, 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 the issue is, yes, God does love you. We, I do love you. But the problem is, is that when we live in selfishness, then we can never experience the love of God because it is not something that is, that is free and, and that is surrendered to. And so the love of God is something that comes into our life, sets us free from fear, self-protection, and abuse. Uh, the counterfeit of the love of God is selfish affection where you are attracted to someone and treat them well because of how they make you feel about yourself. We have to really be careful here. And this is why God needs to get underneath our layers because there are things about us that we don't even know that we are, that we are blind to. And it's called self-deception, meaning that we naturally will treat people better that we are attracted to because we feel that they have something that's going to make me better, meaning that there's something about them that I need in my life, okay? And this is a relationship can never be based on this. Any relationship that begins based on needs is always going to be, is going to be doomed from the start. I'm going to, I'm just going to finish with this, is that God's love is not a needy love. God doesn't love us because he needs something from us. God loves us because He's so rich and so abundant and He has nothing to lose that He just loves us and He values us so much that He wants to pour out His blessing in our life. And because He loves us so much that God took all of the reasons that He could have not loved us and and settled them out the cross. And so where do we experience the love of God the best? We experience Him. We experience the love of God the best from the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ is, is where he was crucified, where he died, and he rose from the dead. And this is where we experience the great love of God. This is where we find that, you know what, all of our sin, all of our yesterday, all of our past has been crucified, and now we are a new creation in Christ. And this is where we experience God's love. The fruit of the Spirit, the first fruit, love, and I... I can see this is not going to be such an easy um, series to get through because there's so much we could talk about. But the love of Christ is where God does not love us because He wants something from us. And that when we have that fruit and we were filled in Romans 5, verse 5, with a spirit of love, and we begin to love people not based on what they can give to us, but because of what God has already given to us and what God wants to give to people. And so that will set us free from relationships that are based on just need-based relationships. And I'll finish with that, that whenever a relationship begins because of something that I need from that person, then I'm putting expectation on that other person that they are never able to ever fulfill because what does our soul really need it needs the eternal love of God and that can't come from a person 
uh, a relationship, a godly relationship, a godly friendship, a godly marriage is when you have two people that are filled with God, filled with the Spirit, filled with the love of God and the, and the Word of God, that when they meet, they are giving to each other. Now, of course, when you're giving, you're going to also be receiving. That's the way it works in relationships, that if you have needs in your life, then, and you're trusting God for those needs, and you, we go to the cross and say, God, I'm not going to live in a need-based, need-motivated relationship, then as we love people, then God is going to bring into our life through our relationships a beautiful blessing. I, I just want to tell one story and we'll close that there was a pastor who, this is a true story, there was a pastor who was really depressed. He got really depressed. And he got depressed because of just different reasons. And he just got really wrapped up in his own life. And, you know, and he just went to, uh, he went to another brother and he said, I need some help. I'm depressed, you know. And the other brother, which was his mentor, which was his pastor, said this. He said, uh, he said, why don't you go and, and it was, he was, the guy was depressed because of a situation with another, another church member. And he said, why don't you go bake a cake for that other person in the church? And it's very simple but, and very cute. But the guy went, the pastor went, and I guess he could bake, bake the cake for this other brother, for this other person in the church that he was struggling with. I just gave it to him and said, look, I baked the cake for you. And as he was baking the cake and as he was serving this brother in this very simple way, God released him from his depression. The key is, is and this is a very simple story, but when we begin to be filled with the love of God, we begin to be conscious of other people and their needs instead of our own needs. And as we begin to serve and love people in the giving love of God, then our own needs are going to be, our own needs are going to be settled and they're going to be set free. I, we, I did this actually, I heard this story and there was a neighbor, I was living in Poland and there was a neighbor that was living below us and me and this other guy, we were missionaries in Poland before I got married and um, the first night that I had moved into this new apartment, we, I had the entire Bible school come over to my apartment at like 11 o'clock at night. I was 22, so I didn't know much better. <laughs> had the whole Bible school come over. We had like, you know, we just had, you know, just kind of a celebration that, you know, I'd moved to this new apartment and it was really great, you know. And so we were just having a great time. And then sometime it ended, you know, Christians, when they get together, they just have a great time of fellowship. And ended about 1 o'clock, 1230 people left, you know, people going down the stairs in apartment buildings can get really loud. And so my, my neighbor downstairs, uh, she was elderly and she had a very small dog, like one of these chihuahua dogs. And these things are, the, I don't know if you like chihuahuas, but they are the meanest, the strangest dogs. I don't know where, I, I don't know where they came from, but, um, and this chihuahua would sleep outside of the door. I don't know why, but outside on the little mat outside of her door. And she marched right up the stairs the next morning and just yelled at us, me and this other guy, Brian. And she was so angry. And every time we'd come home, I'd walk up the stairs. She'd kind of open her door, and she'd look at us and snarl. And her dog would snarl, and just everything would snarl. And, and we just like kind of 
kind of sneak up the stairs. And it just got really bad. You know how it can get bad. Then she began to tell everybody in the, in the whole building that we were just like these terrible people from America and that we were just, you know, all these bad things about us. And then the whole, the whole building just hated us, you know. And I thought, this has got to end. You know, I heard this story. So I thought, me and, this, me and my buddy, we're going to bake her a cake, you know. So two single guys baking cake. Bad start right at that moment. Too bad we didn't know Aggie at the point, at that point. So we make this cake and we're using, we're using this you know, post-communist oven, you know, because it was, it was so bad, you know, we're making this cake, we don't even know what we're doing, we're just reading instructions in Polish, that was mistake number two, and so we make this cake, and you know, we put it in there, and it's cooking, and then you know how when cakes don't bake right, they just kind of fall or something, so ours fell, kind of looked like, you know, it came out, and it was just, it looked like, I don't know, it just, looked like it was dilapidated or something. We tried to prop it up and did the best we could with the frosting and everything. And then, so we go downstairs, knock on the door. She opens the door and she's like, Rawr! she just like doesn't even talk. She just like barks at us. And and, and we said, we're just like, we just said, here we wanted to just give this to you. We made this for you. And she looked at it. She looked at us. I thought this is, you know, it's going to bite our head right off. And then she just started laughing. She just started laughing at us, laughing at the cake. She said, all right, guys, come on in here, you poor people. You know? <laughs> Brought us in, she gave us tea, and she's, you know, we ate the cake, and it was terrible. And she's just the worst cake I've ever had, but it's a thought that counts. And then after that moment, you know, she totally, totally changed. And then she told everybody in the building we're wonderful people, and everything changed. And so it was really, for me, like a little sign that, you know, when we exercise just kindness, and I don't want to sound like a, a humanitarian here, a good humanitarian, but it, you know, kindness goes a long way, doesn't it? When we are, when we exercise kindness, and it really breaks the bondages that, of things that people live in. Amen. So let's just close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you.